0: You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. Well this morning we're kind of in between the series right We've just finished our scent series through the summer uh, We're beginning to press into Daniel, uh, next week. And so this is sort of our, our in-between. How do we transition from one to the other? And last week I'd, I'd mentioned something that, that, that Paul says in, in his letter to the Galatians that he says, you were running a good race who kept, who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth. And so I was pressing back into that idea this week of what it means to be sent and, and what it means to sort of be sidetracked in that process. Or as we look forward to Daniel to uh, to, to take a stand in a, in a broken culture. How do do we do that? Well, we run the Christian race with perseverance. And so uh, I want to invite you to go with me this morning to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. And I want to look at a a passage of scripture, probably familiar to to most of us. If you've been around church, you've probably heard this passage, you've read this passage. But as I was sitting yesterday um, getting ready to watch my Cubs lose, um, sitting on the deck, and I was watching my neighbors across the street frantically pack their truck with all their NC State flags and getting ready to go tailgate, and it's pouring buckets of rain, and I'm going, stay home, stay dry, you know? Um, but how many of you got out yesterday? I talked to a couple after first service. I got out yesterday and enjoyed some football, a few, a few of you, you have you ventured out, right? That's like, we're gonna persevere. We're gonna do this. We live in a sports crazed culture. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And, and we need to understand, and, and I say that because Paul is writing to a church in a city that has a sports crazed culture. So uh, this is not unfamiliar. I think you'll resonate with some of the stuff that Paul is saying to them based on kind of who we are as, as a people. Um, I started thinking about this, and and, uh, I started thinking about runners, right? Because Paul is using an illustration here. Paul gets it. He understands his culture, and so he's using these illustrations. So I looked up some famous runners. Anybody remember Jesse Owens? Uh, I don't know if, if you were around during that time. Jesse Owens was born in 1913, um, he, he was a runner, died in 1980. He, he's most well-known for winning four gold medals in the 1936 Olympics. Was anyone there? Yeah, I probably didn't think so. But he changed culture as we know it, not just being a great athlete, not just being a great runner, uh, but even today, USA's top track and field athlete that's named each year is given the Jesse Owens Award because he had such an impact on the culture. Anybody remember a name named Roger Bannister? Uh, Roger Bannister was the first person time to run uh, a mile in under four minutes. Uh, they, they believed that it's like there's no way that a human being could run that distance that fast and actually run under a four minute mile. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I don't know how people get up and run at all, okay? Um, we have some runners in the room. Come on, I'd be loud and proud. It's okay. Any runners in the room? I don't understand you. Um, Julie, I see that hand, very proud back there. Uh, Whenever I get the urge to run, I lie down and it goes away. And so, um, but runners, it's a unique breed. So when Paul's using this illustration, it makes a lot of sense. Anybody remember the name Catherine Switzer at all? Catherine was the first woman to run uh, the New York City Marathon. Uh, she registered in 1967 to run the New York City Marathon. At that point, AAU rules said there's no woman can do this. They actually believed that a woman was not physically capable of running that distance, and and so that there was a, a ban on women running this this race at all. Catherine in 1967 was able to actually register. She got her, her bib, her number, and she was running. And the picture that you see uh, is actually during the race, one of the, one of the guys that was a race coordinator um, of the New York City Marathon for years and years, very adamant, very purist about the race, cut in on her during the race, realizing it was a woman, and, and tried to rip her bib off and take her out of the race. Um, but two guys that were running with her, one was a track coach at a men's with a men's team at a college who saw her potential as a runner and started coaching her was running with her and also her fiance was running with her at the time. Um, And so they protected her. And so she actually finished. She was the first woman to register and actually run the New York City Marathon. Uh, You probably remember a a really fast guy named Usain Bolt, uh, also known as Lightning Bolt. Anybody remember this guy? Uh, 2009 I believe it was that he set the 100 meter world record still known as the fastest man ever uh, to run the 100 meter in 9.58 seconds I can't even think about running it that fast Um, in 2011 some guys were were monitoring and metering him in 2011 they actually measured his speed at one point in his dash at 27.33 miles an hour um, the guy's just amazing, right? Um, so th- these are runners, and, and these are well-known runners. So when we think about Paul writing to this church in Corinth, these, these people who are passionate, sports-crazed, he's, he's quick to use this illustration and this idea of what it means to be a runner, Uh, We're familiar with the Olympic Games. The Olympic Games go back to around 776 B.C. Uh, Every four years in in the city of Olympia, they would would host these games. But there was also another set of games called the Isthmian Games that were held in the city of Corinth every two years. So every two years, thousands of people would just come to the city of Corinth. Thousands of people as spectators, athletes, uh, just just fell on the city. And so as Paul is writing to them, understand this is the culture that he's writing into. The Isthmias Games just drew uh, spectators, participants. It was a massive celebration, probably one of the most splendid and, and attended celebrations in all of Greece at that point in time. So with that as a setting, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The context of what Paul is writing up to this point is about our grace and about our freedom in Christ. He's talking to them about, in your freedom, don't do certain things. And yes, you are free to do certain things, but don't do those things if it causes someone else to stumble or to struggle. You are called to live a different life because you are followers of Jesus Christ. And so he's going on for a couple of chapters talking about these these things. Not an external Right? He's, not, he's not saying, hey, do this, do this, do this. No, he's saying because you've been transformed by the grace and the mercy of Jesus, your life should look different. You should be walking differently. You should be living differently. You should be running the race as a follower of Jesus in a way that is different, which leads him to this part of his letter. We're gonna begin in verse 24, uh, but I wanna just set it up in verse 33 because as Paul is writing all these things, not about the law, I have the law, but I'm not living under the law, I'm living by grace, I'm doing all these things, I'm growing in Jesus. He says in verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That's his concern. And so the very next verse, and again, he didn't break the verses, right? This is just a letter to the church. So he picks up in verse 24, pick it up with me. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we, followers of Jesus, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man simply beating the air. No, I beat my body, he says, and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul begins this this little section with sort of sort of a, a hypothetical question, because he asks them a question that he he knows they know the answer. It's like preachers do it all the time, and Pastor Scott will often say, "Some of you will never answer in church, right?" Um, but sometimes we ask a question, and the room is really quiet. Even though you know the answer, you don't wanna say anything, right? So Paul is asking the question, he begins in verse 24. Do you not know that a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So he asks them the question and he knows in his head, he knows in his heart that every Corinthian reading this letter knows that the answer to that question is yes. Oh yeah, we know that. Because in Paul's day, the Isthmian games, there was no second place, there was no third place. There was only a winner there was one winner well we live in a culture where where everybody gets a trophy right you're lousy you're lousy kid you are not a good t-ball player but here's a trophy right during this era they they knew full well when paul asked this question do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize And the Corinthian church immediately would go, yeah, we know that. And so he clarifies it by saying, run in such a way as to get the prize. Which begs me to ask the question, what's the prize? Right? It's not simply the the little crown that they would get that was made out of like leaves and stems and and vines. It's actually where we get our word diadem or crown. That's what they would get. That was no gold. No gold. No platinum, no silver, no metal, just this crown that they would get. But they were noted as the winner. So when I look at this, I'm going, so what's, what's the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. How do I run in such a way to get the prize? How do I, uh, how do I, how do you run the race of the Christian life in such a way as to win? What is winning? What is the prize? Well, first off, I want, again, I want to clarify, this is written to those that are following Jesus. If you're sitting here, you're with us online, and you've never come to trust Jesus, that's where your race begins. That's not the end of the race. That's the beginning of the race. But, but what's he talking about here? What is the prize? Is the prize heaven? No, I, I don't believe it is. Because that, that, would, that would be somehow implying that, that Paul is saying, well, you have to work your way to heaven. No. No. Uh, what, are we, what are we running toward, right? He's, he's not implying works. He's not implying, hey, do all the right things and, and hope that your prize then is heaven at the end of your life. Oh, God says, hey, you, you've run well. You've done all the right things. Come on in. Now, he's writing to believers. He's writing to people who've already placed their trust in Christ. So what is the prize? The prize of chasing hard after Jesus is more Jesus, uh, the prize, the way to win is to grow deeper in your walk and your relationship with Jesus Christ to know him more. What a gift, what a prize. As we grow to become more like Jesus, we become more concerned with his thoughts, his ideas, his mission than my own. The prize is to one day stand, as Jesus told the parable in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. where he's saying, hey, all the things, Dave, that have been entrusted to you, your time, your treasure, your talent, the truth that I've entrusted to you, you need to live as a good steward so that Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 23, when we stand before him, what does he say? He looks at us and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, the goal of running the race to win the prize that you could stand before the judge who would say, you won. I want to stand before Jesus one day and then hear him say, Dave, well done, my good and faithful servant. With all that I've entrusted to you, you have been faithful. You've run the race with perseverance. You've lived in a way that, that loved me and honored me and brought glory to me. That's the prize. The prize of pursuing Jesus is more Jesus. The prize of pursuing his mission is more mission. The prize of pursuing the focus and attention of Jesus Christ and his kingdom is more of his kingdom. It's not the pursuit of things here. It's not for the pursuit of of gifts or prizes or somehow God's blessing on our life here. That's a distorted American version of what we say the gospel really is. Well done, my good and faithful servant. What kind of prize is that going to be? (laughs) To know that we stand before God and he looks at you and he says, well done, you've run the race and you won. So what will it take? There's a lot of things in this text, but can I just share three things with you? Is that okay? This is one of those moments I ask a question, it's okay to respond. Is it okay? I'm going to share three things and we won't take long. See, if we're going to run the Christian life, as if eternity depends on it. If we're gonna run the Christian life, run the race of the Christian life in a way that eternity depends on it, I think Paul is telling us three things. One, we have to have determination. We have to have determination. Look at verse 25, Paul says, everyone who competes, there's a decision that was made to compete. See, see, when someone decides to run the New York City Marathon or the Boston Marathon, as we've had people in our church do these things, and again, I don't understand why you were compelled to do those things, but at some point, you have to go through the, the process. You have determined that you're going to do that, and so you go through the application process. See, we all make determinations at some point. The question is, do we stay with our decision? Many of us on January 1st determined to do something. And by January 2nd, we are determined not to do that. How many of you know, seriously, show of hands, how many of you have ever joined a gym somewhere within the first week of January? Come on, seriously, you made the decision, first week of January, I'm going to join a gym. And, and then that, that's over, right? I joined a gym one time, I thought, wait, hey, first I just have to show up. I just got, I got to get in the parking lot. So I stopped at the donut shop on the way and I, I made it to the parking lot. And I said, tomorrow, I'm going to go in. And tomorrow never came. So, but, but there's a determination. See, when we come to know Jesus Christ, we give our life to Christ. We are born again. We're born new and fresh. And to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ takes determination. Why? Because Satan is now coming after me. He wants to come after me with everything that he can. And and we we have this idea sometimes that, oh, once I give my life to Jesus, life is easy. Life is going to be great now that I've come to know Jesus. But we realize that's not true. Life is hard. When you make a determination in your head to do something, your body, your flesh begins to speak against it in every way possible. We're going to see this when we press into Daniel because in Daniel chapter one, verse eight, it says that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. In other words, he made a decisive decision of his will to honor God. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. He says, look, be like Daniel. Make this decision. I am going to honor God. I'm going to be determined to walk in fellowship with God. And I'll promise you this. The more you desire to do that, the more Satan is coming after you. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians or in Romans chapter 7. I have it marked in my Bible, two words, civil war. Because Paul said, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I continue to do. What a wretched sinner I am. The more you pursue to walk in fellowship with Jesus, the more Satan's coming after you. He's going to speak to your flesh. He's going to bark at you with everything he possibly can to distract you from relationship with God and fulfillment of his mission. And some of those things are going to be evil. And some of those things are just going to be a comfortable distraction. We talked about that last week. And Paul is saying, look, you have to live determined. What about you this morning? Uh, are you determined to win your spiritual race? Uh, or, or do you just take this casual approach of going, well, you know, I prayed a prayer and, and one day I think I'm going to heaven. So I think until that point, it's all cool. I just want to accumulate what I can and, and have fun until that moment. See, now I don't think there's a back door to heaven but I think there's a difference in how we meet our savior in that moment. And Paul is saying, run in such a way as to get the prize. Be determined. Let me introduce you another runner. His name was Bob Wieland. Bob Wieland in, in November of 2nd, 1986, he ran the New York City Marathon that day there were 19,413 runners that started the race. How many runners? 19,413 runners. Let me tell you about Bob and I'm gonna tell you why he was the most important person that ran that race. Because he finished dead last. Out of 19,413 runners, he finished 19,413th. Now, I know some of you competitors, you're thinking, what a loser, right? Seriously, be honest. It's like, what a loser, really? Well, what made him so significant? What was so different about Bob Wheeland? Well, he finished the race. Get this. He finished the New York City Marathon in 98 hours. That's four days. Four days, two hours, 48 minutes, and 17 seconds. How many you are going, dang, what a loser? he shouldn't get a trophy right there's no trophy for 19,413th place he set the record for the slowest marathon in history you're saying pastor dave why is this guy memorable why should we remember bob wayland probably because he ran the race with no legs Bob Whelan ran the New York City Marathon with no legs. But he finished four days, two hours, 48 minutes, 17 seconds later. You see, Bob Whelan would sit on a 15 pound saddle. He would cover his fist with with leather pads and he would just thrust himself forward one arm length at a time. Four years before this, Bob Whelan actually walked across the United States of America and estimated 900plus plus thousand steps to raise awareness for a, a special program that he was helping launch in school. He would catapult himself forward one arm length at a time with the determination that we need to have to live the Christian life. It's not easy, but I'm determined to win. The year was 1969. And while serving in Vietnam, this is what Bob says. He says, my legs were blown off instantly from an 82 millimeter mortar round. He said, in that moment, he said, I saw my legs fly in one direction and my life went in another. He was pronounced dead, D-O-A. He was put in a body bag in the 14th evac hospital in Vietnam. And as he lay in that body bag, he says, I had one breath in me. And he said, with all I could do, he said, I took that breath. He said, I praise God that someone in that room saw the bag move. And he ran over and he unzipped the bag and helped to restore Bob. And what he says in that moment is simply this. He says, you see, I lost my legs but I didn't lose my heart. That changed the trajectory of Bob Whelan's story. And I firmly believe it changed the trajectory and termination of a lot of people because of Bob's life and Bob's story. What about you? Do you have that same determination as you walk with the Lord, as you run the race to say, I want to finish in such a way that I stand before my King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he looks at me and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. We have to run with a determination. Second, I want you to see that we have to run with focus. Verse 25, he picks it up. He says, everyone who competes goes into strict training. He goes into strict training training there's a focus and intentionality to anything that we do and Paul clarifies this just a little bit in verse 26 when he says therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly I do not fight like a man beating the air so what he speaks of is this idea of strict training there's an intentionality and I've talked to so many people through my years of of ministry and they say pastor Dave I'm really trying I'm trying I'm trying and my response is always this listen to me quit trying Quit trying to live a Christian life and start training. There, there's a big difference between living a Christian life or trying to live a better Christian life and training to be intentional as you run the race with determination and focus to honor God with your life. See, you can go through all the motions and attend things and do things in and, and, and hopes. Well, I'm gonna just keep trying hard. I'm gonna keep trying hard. He says, no, he says, they go into strict training. Paul uses this illustration elsewhere in his letters. He says, train yourself to be godly, grow in righteousness, train yourself to to walk with the Lord, surround yourself with people that are gonna love you, encourage you and challenge you to run the race. See what what Paul understood with the Corinthian readers is that in the Isthmian games, it wasn't simply runners that competed. It also included horse races, uh, it included chariot contests, jumping, wrestling, boxing, throwing the discus, throwing the javelin. And so he picked out this running and this boxing illustration to use right here. Because he knew that whatever games they were competing in, every athlete knew that in order to win, he must have focus. A guy didn't train and compete uh, and, and prep to go in and be a boxer only to go throw a javelin or a spear. If you're gonna say, I wanna walk a faithful Christian life and fulfill the mission that God has given me, th- then you train for that. You press into that, you move into that. So he's speaking here of, of runners. He says, I don't, I don't run aimlessly. I don't, I don't fight like a man beating the air. And, and so what he's saying is, look, runners don't just start running in a zigzag pattern, do they? I've never seen that kind of race except on the playground when you're playing tag or something. But but in competition there's this lane and there's this focus and there's this goal. I am running toward that goal. That is my focus. That is my intent and I am running with determination because I want to win the prize. I want to stand before the Lord, well done my good and faithful servant. So I'm going to run there. He says they don't they don't run aimlessly. They don't fight like a man beating the air. So I've heard preachers talk about this, and they think it's like a shadow boxing training, but, but the language that Paul uses is actually one of being beaten up and, and dazed. If you've ever watched boxers, well, when they take a hit, sometimes they, they stammer. And, and they, they're swinging, they're going through the motions, and this seems so much like the Christian life to me sometimes. I'm swinging, I'm going through the motions, but I'm not landing a blow anywhere because Satan's pummeling me. He's coming after us with all he can. And sometimes life just makes us go, wow, what's going on? And and so he uses this illustration of of a man that's just beating the air. Paul says, no, 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 no. He says, we have to be determined. We have to go into strict training, right? Runners run a specific course. Boxers fight in a certain technique jab, jab, punch, jab, jab, stay tight, go, go through the process of training and, and be strict in that process because that boxer wants to know that every blow has to count in, in beating my opponent. I have to block. I have, I have to know what to block, what to keep away, and I know when to jab. So he's using this picture, and and Paul's saying, look, man, successful Christian living demands focus. We must have the goal in mind. Our mission is Jesus' mission. Our focus is Jesus' focus. If we're going to run the race to to be successful in our Christian life, it's going to look more like Jesus. So what did Jesus see? Let's say, Luke 19, 10, I've I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. You want to run a race to look more like Jesus? Seek and save the lost. That was Jesus' mission. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. This is the mission. This is the focus of Jesus. If we want to keep our life in line with him, what are we going to do? We're going to seek and save the lost. We're going to make disciples. Not just go through the motions, not just running aimlessly, not just beating the air, but landing blows. So we have to have this determination. We have to have a a focus Last, I want you to see that we have to have discipline. He says, you have to have a discipline. Verse 27, no, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, there's a a discipline to what I do. I beat my body. Now, Paul presses into this in a couple of different places in scripture. In Galatians chapter five, I mentioned last week, where where he simply says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? I've been here. God, I want to walk with you. I want to run with you. God, I want to fulfill your mission. And all of a sudden stuff happens in my life and I get sidetracked. And God brings me back. So Paul's speaking the same idea to the Corinthian church that he did to the church in Galatia. Don't let people cut in on you. Don't let things come against you. First Timothy chapter four, as Paul is writing to his his young disciple, Timothy, he says this, he says, "Um, have nothing, nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales. He says, rather what? Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. There's the price. There's the price, the life to come. Godliness has value for this present life and the life to come. So as Paul presses into this idea of discipline, he says, I beat my body. He uses a Greek word here that literally means to give himself a black eye. I'm going to beat my body. I'm going to beat my body into subjection. I'm going to beat against the flesh to walk in the spirit of God. That's what he says in Galatians, right? But be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you won't uh, fulfill the desires of the flesh. So he's using this imagery, I have to discipline myself. I have to do the hard things in my life so that I can walk close to Jesus. It's it's almost as if Paul was was boxing against himself, punching himself in the eye. Uh, It's possible that he chose this illustration for the Corinthian church or this metaphor for them because of the rough sport of boxing that they were used to watching every two years. Because in the Isthmian games, unlike modern-day boxing, there were no rounds. You just go for it. Now, for any mother in the house that has that great fear of, of BB guns and eyes, I was that kid. Um, a lot of wicked stories about my childhood. That, um, but, but when I was about 13, I had a BB lodged in my eye, and I was... Uh, hospitalized and bandaged and ended up in in, uh, retina surgery and everything, it's still good today. Monica takes good care of me and and makes sure that I'm doing okay. Um, But I will never forget as a young boy, having come through retina surgery, uh, my my ophthalmologist and my retina surgeon uh, simply said this, Dave, we think you're good to go. You, You can kind of do anything you want in life, except do not become a professional boxer. I said, no problem, no problem. Never a personal desire of mine to be a boxer. That was never like something I struggled with, but it was like, anytime you're playing sports, you take a shot to the head because it could loosen stuff or especially to the eye, come and see us. And so it was like, I'd regularly go in, took a baseball to the eye, took racquetball to the eye, took shots to the head. I mean, all kinds of things through life as a kid and as an adult, and and they kind of keep checking stuff. But I'm thinking, okay, Boxer was never on my dream bucket list, right? Who wants to do that? But Paul is using this as an illustration because what these people would have known is that there's no rounds these guys wrap leather around, no padded, no padded gloves, they wrap leather around their hands and they would say, okay, go. And these guys would just sit and beat on each other until one of them gave up or passed out. And so it was not uncommon for these guys to experience severe damage to their eyes, to their ears, to their skull, to their nose. And it was brutal. And Paul is saying, I'm going to be brutal to myself. I'm going to discipline myself in such a way that, right, discipline involves physical discipline and strength. It also involves uh, removing yourself from certain things, abstaining from certain things. Why? Because I'm going to press in to to Jesus. Therefore, I'm going to choose to deny myself of other things. Uh, What about a spiritual discipline? Prayer. Prayer. Meditation on scripture, scripture reading, scripture memorization, fasting. When's the last time you had a spiritual fast, just denying yourself something because you want to seek deeper, more intimate relationship with Christ. He says we have to discipline ourselves. Let me close with this idea and story I think I shared this with you once before. I just love the story, and I think it fits right here as we run hard after Jesus. <clears throat> there were two men. Uh, these guys worked for the gas company. So help me out. How many guys worked for gas company? Just have that setting. As was their normal routine, working through the city and reading meters, they would... They would drive to an alley and they'd get out and they'd, they'd work the alley and then they'd come back, drive to the next alley, work that alley, come back reading meters. It's coming up on lunchtime and as they, they work the alley and read the meters, um, these guys get kind of toward the end in one of the last houses, they're, they're looking, they're reading the meter. Unbeknownst to them, there's a lady standing in her kitchen looking out the window at these, how many men? Worked for? gas company. So she's looking out at these guys reading the meter. What she didn't know was the conversation taking place because the one guy, a little bit younger, challenging the older guy to a foot race. And he says, loser buys lunch. He goes, okay, you're on. So they read the meter and they take off running back to the van. They're back to, they're headed back to the van Uh, with everything they got. They're running as they get to the van and they're teasing each other. They hear steps and breathing behind them because this lady's chasing them down the alley. And they're like, ma'am, ma'am, are you okay? Is everything okay? She goes, yeah, I think so. She goes, all I know is I saw you guys look at my gas meter and you started running. And I thought something's gotta be wrong, I gotta run. And so she started running, she's chasing these guys up the alley. You know, I want to run that kind of life with Jesus to where people are looking and going, you know what, something else is, uh, man, we start pressing into Daniel. We live in a messed up culture. Are we running so hard after Jesus that people are looking at us going, I don't know what's going on over here, but it's a mess. But what I see you running toward is beautiful and wonderful. And I want to know this Jesus that you're chasing hard after. We have to run as though eternity depends on it. Why? Because it does. It does, we we have an impact. We have a blast zone around us that we are impacting people whether you admit it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, there are people around you who are influenced by your life and you're either running hard after Jesus and pursuing him with everything you can so that you can stand before him and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have run the race, you now win the prize. Let's pray together. Father, in this place, we want to be people who run hard after you. God, to run in such a way as to get the prize. God, I want to live a life of determination. I want want to live a life of focus. I want to live a life of discipline. God, my years here are short compared to an eternity that I will spend in your presence. You're holy, you're righteous, you're sovereign. You've invited me to come to yourself. You've given me salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ as a gift by grace through faith. And Father, now I just want to run in such a way that I can get the prize when I stand before you one day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.